Welcome into another episode of We're Talking. Today, we're talking football, Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, buddy. Hope you are too. I am. Life's good. It's starting to get a little cooler here, which I'm not particularly a fan of, but I'm also not particularly a fan of living in hell sometimes when it's 100 degrees. So, <laughs> but hey, I might as well get used to it because at some point I might end up there. All right. Uh, Georgia State, App State last Wednesday night uh, looked like a game that Georgia State was going to pull away and just blow out App State. And then 42 to three going down the final three quarters. Did you get a chance to watch that game? Yeah, I think App finally realized that they have made their hay since the move up by running the football. And they looked behind themselves and said, we've got Noel. We've got Peoples. We've got Harrington. If necessary, we've got Castle. And even though Georgia State's strength has been on that defensive line for years, that was not a set of environmental circumstances where people wanted to tackle people because they talked all game long about how cold it was. And you could see it early on. App did not want much to do with Tucker Gregg and, and Darren Granger. But once they started getting them into third downs and getting off the field, then they flipped the script on them. And Georgia State didn't want anything of Cam Peoples, who I think could have run for a 1,000 yards if they let him. But the fact that they put up more than 400 is, I, I would say, a shout to the rest of the league is, look, you might have thought we were struggling, and we were, but I think we still know who we are. If that goes anywhere from here, we'll find out. But it's clear that App still has something in the tank, and they're going to need to stay reasonably hot if they want to get to get to a bowl. Because remember, they need seven wins, not just the six, because the two FCS games and one of those is this weekend. They got Robert Morris. Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, you weren't sure which App State team was going to kind of show up because uh, I had some some friends who talked to some of their friends at App State and felt like they weren't they weren't sure. Even the fans at App State weren't sure what 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 team would show up, but um. It, it you talked about the the how cold it was and you know Gerald Broussard likes to talk about the big boys down in the trenches getting all lathered up and once that once they once 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 you break a sweat in that it, it gets all uh it get it it's a different ball game I guess when it gets cold uh and and you and you broken the sweat now and uh, you can play you don't feel like each hit is going to break a bone. Well, you actually find out who really wants to play football because we talk all the time that we love this game, we love this game, but when the conditions that you can't control get worse, who really wants to play? Muddy field, pouring rain, snow, in this case, bitter cold. Who could handle it? Who really wants to win? That's when you find out how your guys can handle real adversity instead of how do you deal with a couple of turnovers or, you know, failing on third down or getting a kick blocked or something like that? Absolutely. And I think the Cajuns found that out on uh, several trips to Boone. It took them a while to figure out, hey, the condition, we can't, you can't let the conditions control the game. Uh, moving on, South Alabama hosting Troy. A uh, little surprise. Well, I guess, I mean, that's been the strength of those two teams has been the de the defense, so I won't say a little bit of a surprise. Uh, nice crowd there, though, at South Alabama. Looked great on TV. Uh, your thoughts on the game? Well, the way the game went, South probably should have won because their two biggest plays both got wiped out. There was the one pass to the tight end, Brandon Crum, that was taken away on a holding penalty, and the next play, Bradley was picked off. They had a longer pass to Devin Boyson later on in the second quarter that got wiped away whenever review said the ball hit the ground. It's it's tough to say either way because the, the ruling on the field was catch, but when they went back and looked at it, they said it was on the ground, or, or at least the ground supported him enough to try to make the catch, so that's why they took it away. Boyson was pretty adamant that he caught the football long after the review had taken place, and Troy started 0-9 on third downs. They didn't convert a third down until their final drive of the game. At that point, they were just trying to milk the clock. But they got the only touchdown. They made sure that South only kicked field goals. It was a heavyweight bout in the sellout crowd at Hancock-Whitney. I think the first time they had ever had that. But like we had talked about before, South Alabama has this 
ability to South Alabama everywhere at some point during every season, whether it's because of injury, mostly it is because of injury. I know they were down a couple of guys last week, but they have this knack for stumbling and then not recovering from it. I think they're way too talented to let this fester. I say that even though their next game is Arkansas State, then they come to Statesboro next weekend. But I would anticipate them coming out pretty strong this week if they want to get to bowl eligibility. And I think Arkansas State is they're they're going to fade into the rest of the season unless they can get some guys back off injury. I think Blackman is practiced. I don't know if he's going to play, but they lost Johnny Lang on the opening kickoff against you guys. South, though, I think they're better equipped to handle the adversity. But if either of those two plays, the the two long passes don't get taken out, they probably win the game. That being said, I thought Troy's defense was outstanding. South really didn't have much success blocking them. They couldn't run the football. Troy had a little bit more success on the ground. And despite those third down deficiencies, they did enough to hold off the home team to keep the belt. What what that that pass that they overturned? I I thought there was um I thought because the ruling on the field said it was a catch, I thought they would say it's a catch, but I thought I saw a little bit of movement, but at the same time, I thought it was a catch, you know? It it looked like catch more than it didn't look like catch, but I guess when they saw that ball, because it can touch the ground as long as you've got control of it, but the part of it is that if the ground helps you maintain the football, which makes it look like it's not a catch. I think that's what they saw, and that's why they said incomplete, and that took that took them from being, I think, inside the five-yard line, yes. and they ended up only getting a field goal that drive, and that was right at the end of the half. Because to me, though, it, it, I felt like his hands were underneath it, or at least part of his hand was underneath it. So I don't think the – I didn't think the ball hit the ground. I thought his hands hit the ground, and the ball were on was on top of his hands. But it's not my team, so I, I'm not going to complain too much. The, the West is Troy's to win now, and they've already played five league games, so they're four and one. I think they've still got to dabble. I, I don't know the rest of their schedule off the top, but the way the rest of the West is, uh, this game coming up on set or on Thursday is probably an elimination game if you're Southern Miss or Louisiana because one of them is going to stay in contention. The other is probably just going to have to hope for bowl eligibility. But South still has a chance, and I think that Texas State still has an outside chance, but you're to a point where you can't stumble again, a lot like what Georgia Southern's dealing with in the East. They've got a shot, but the Eagles need some help, and they can't stumble again. Yeah, after uh, after the Cajuns, uh, uh, Troy's schedule is ULM and Arkansas State, so it, it would take a, a, a lot for things to happen, but it could happen. So not really worried about them uh, at this point. Uh, moving on, uh, as uh, ULM uh, faced Army, any surprise? I, I thought that was a little bit of a surprise. I know ULM is not great, but at the same time, Army has struggled a little bit against Sunbelt Conference teams. So any surprise in the in the in the big score there? Just the fact that Army did what they did in the second half. Uh, I know we talked about before when they played Georgia State, if they can get into their game plan with chewing up clock and getting three and four yards of carry and not being able to stop the flex bone, it, it's virtually impossible to get them off the field. And if Georgia State doesn't get that fourth down stop in the fourth quarter, they lose that game. It, it just it became a tidal wave that ULM didn't know how to deal with. And they had been up there before. It had been a couple of years, and I don't think that game went nearly as well. They were up at – I mean, they were – leading for a good portion of the first half but once army got settled in and ulm didn't find any consistency then it became a pretty long afternoon but that's that's a trip i would make every year the mikey stadium i, I feel bad for georgia southern because they went with only four thousand cadets there they didn't have a chance to go with a full stadium because that was a covid trip so there were restrictions in place but i would love to go back there and i think we do sometime in either 29 30 or 31 but to see that place filled, to see the reservoir behind the stands, we were actually there real early the day that we played. It was a noon kick, and Colin and I got there. We actually got a chance to see the sunrise over the hill, which is that, – that was pretty fantastic. 
Oh man, I, that's one uh, place there in Annapolis I would love for our teams to go. But uh, I talked to Dr. Maggard, our athletic director, and he said, as soon as I hire a coach that wants to play somebody that that runs the uh, the option like that, then then we'll go. If you want to do it, you better do it the first game of the season or after a bye. Yes, exactly, and that's when uh, I believe that happened when uh, LSU played Georgia Southern. Uh, it was the first game. I, y'all you know, were still running the option at, or a form of the option back then. So I, the only thing that surprised me in the game was the 30 point, 34 points in the, in the, in the second half for army. Um, you know, that's just, that's just kind of crazy. Cause you don't see army sometimes scoring 34 points in a game, but I guess, again, once you get those guys rolling and uh, get your running back some room, you can eat up clock and score. So just, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that, but. Well, that, ULM's definitely got the talent to play with anybody. Chandler Rogers is quietly having a really good season. I mean, he completed 90% of his passes. I think he was 27 out of 30 against Coastal in a game that they were in against a team that just doesn't want to lose unless they're playing Old Dominion, apparently. But <laughs> <laughs> I say I that because. It. Go off, say that because Georgia Southern got it done last weekend. It was a tighter ball game, though. But it, it's still not a squad where you're going to look past them. Whereas before, you probably thought that you could still not play well and get that win. And Georgia Southern even felt that way for a long time in the Southern Conference, where there were certain parts of the schedule where you were, okay, that game, probably okay, that game, probably okay. And then you would get ramped up for the apps for the Waffords. This league does not have that. You've got 14 teams that all know how to lace gloves up. Now records can be deceiving because everybody's beating up on everybody else. And Jeremy Harper for how razor for Arkansas state had a really good point about this. He said that the strength of this league is probably its weakness because you've got everybody being good, but somebody's got to lose. And unless you've got somebody that can just knock off everybody else and represent you in the top 25, there's going to be a lot of squads that are just punching it out, trying to get to six to seven wins and get to bowl eligibility. You know, you, you bring that up two things because that was something I actually wanted to talk to you about and uh, probably should have talked about it at the beginning, but uh, I always felt the, the together we rise thing was kind of a little bit corny, but it's, it's been true. Now the, the league has risen together and, and there are good football teams, but that's where I, I I think that you're correct on the you know the the teams beating up each, on each other, but at the same time those are the game the outside of conference those are the games when we play the American when we play conference DOA you know those are the Big West those those are the games we have to win I guess is my point if you want to you, be- you've really got to pick off your Power Five opponents. Because it's one thing to get a check, but it's another thing to – you mean you've, the league has four wins this year and they've been really close to at least two others. And against like competition, especially the American, because the American is branding themselves as that sixth power conference. Now, wherever we're headed the next five or ten years, you may not even be able to say the phrase power conference. But as we stand right now, if the complexion of this league is going to continue to go up, you, you take care of your FCS teams. Hopefully you don't have multiple, but sometimes scheduling just works out that way and there's not a ton you can do about it. I know the teams drop out and you need to find somebody last minute and there's a bunch of other circumstances that come into play. But especially those road games, you need to make hay in the non-conference on the road. Almost all the time that's going to be your Power 5 portion, but if you get the chance to go on the road against a like team, just handle it. Uh, did, did the, uh, Eagles break JMU? I mean, after the win there, I mean, they had, I mean, but, but Marshall, let's face it, Marshall, we don't know what Marshall is heckling jive, heckling jive. They are heckling <laughs> jive. You're exactly right. But, but what, what happened there at Marshall heading to JMU for the weekend? All right. Todd Santeo, the quarterback got hurt in practice on Thursday, so he didn't play. And the backup, Billy Atkins, I think he went 13 for 34. But during the game, they lost both their tackles. 
they had their one of their safeties suffer a season-ending injury, but that's something he's had repaired multiple times, so his season's over with. And one of their rotation linebackers actually sprained his ankle in Statesboro the week before, so he didn't play. They just lost a lot in key spots, and they went 0 for 17 on third down, which I have never heard in my life. That that was an amazing stat, and I know it was the backup quarterback, like you said, but four interception he throws, and then both both quarterbacks, one 13 for 35, the other 15 for 31, okay. you know, 28 for 66 in the game at the quarterback position. Neither team deserves to win on that on that set, but, you know, Marshall no, the, came out. The difference in the game was Marshall finally running the football against JMU's defense. Nobody's been able to do it. Kalen Laburn, though, has had a 100-yard game in every game this year, seven straight. I don't think anybody in Marshall history has done that. I think only one other person has done it, period go seven straight 100-yard games. He's their backup because Rasheen Ali still has not played. I, I would doubt we see Ali this year. That's just me tossing it out there unless they can find a way to get him back for the last couple of games. But to this point, Labron's already over 1,000 yards. He has proven to be one of the nation's top rushers. They're fine giving him the football 30 times per game. Because of their lack of a passing attack, that's their means of getting wins. And they know that defensively, they've got a very good unit. Two years ago, they led the country in scoring defense. I think last year they were top 25 in that category too. But their running game is what's going to win them games and get them to the postseason. And they could still win the East. They, they're a lot like Georgia Southern. They need a lot of things to go right and a lot of things to go wrong for everybody else. But the East is a mess. It is, it is a, it's a certified mess. You got Coastal playing Marshall this weekend. So Marshall may play itself out if they don't beat the Shawna Clears. But if Marshall does win, you're going to put about six teams with a shot to win the division. Man. That's fun to watch down the stretch, though, quite honestly, especially like this week, the Cajuns have the Thursday night game. I'll be able to spend Saturday in the recliner and have three games on and, and have fun just, just sitting there watching football. So love it. Uh, moving on, Southern Miss heads to Texas State. Texas State came into the game 3-0 and at uh, Bobcat Stadium, but uh, Southern Miss comes out with the victory. Your thoughts on the game there? No, almost all the offense was in the last two minutes. Yeah. I mean, Texas State gets a, what, 70-yard touchdown pass to Ashton Hawkins, and then Southern Miss comes back on a crazy fourth down play where Wilkie rolls out and ends up being about a 50-yard touchdown pass, and they – basically stole the game it but texas state uh while they were upset about it they probably didn't feel like they should win because neither team played particularly well it's just the fact that southern miss made a play that doesn't happen a whole lot especially in that situation and with that kind of win they're right in the hunt in the west i know that troy is the front runner at this point but if the trojans happen to stumble at some point over their next couple of conference games, it's a Louisiana, it's possibly a Texas State, it is maybe a Southern Miss that could creep in there. Southern Miss, how I'm not sure how you have such bad luck that at the quarterback position that that they've had the last two years. It's it's just been crazy. Um, I don't know, but they do have Frank Gore, and when you have Frank Gore on the field, I think you've always got an opportunity to win. Guess he's very versatile. So, uh, Cajuns hosting Arkansas State. Um, you know, Arkansas State is better, but when you put up, put in a, a freshman quarterback, they're just not, uh, a, a good football team. The Cajuns were able to put a lot of pressure on them. Did you get a chance to watch any of that game or listen? Once I saw the score, I got surprised because when those two play, it's typically close. And I believe it's a combination of the Cajuns starting to figure things out. Congratulations to Ben Wooldridge, by the way. Not only a great game, but to be Offensive Player of the Week. I think that he's taking the job now. But Arkansas State is just dealing with so many injuries. That was their problem back in 2019. And they had to change their defense middle of the season because they had lost so many guys to season-ending injuries. But you're finding out that when you've got one guy to run your offense and that guy doesn't run your offense, it is very difficult to run your offense. It, it, it 
it's one of those things very similar to JMU, except JMU is a better football uh, team. The 0 for 11 on third down, um, the, which has been a problem in, in the losses early on for the Cajuns, is you know getting a team in, in, in a second and long, second and 28, let's say, and then all of a sudden it's third and six or third and eight. And the, and the, the Cajuns haven't been able to get the team off the field. So uh, on third down, and part of that is, quite honestly, is the offense hadn't played that great. So the defense was spending a lot of time on the field. So, but no, it, it was good to see that. And yes, you're correct. Ben, Ben Woolworth's Sunbelt Conference uh, Player of the Week, and uh, Offensive Player of the Week. And I believe he picked one up for the, uh, the either the Louisiana Sports Writers Association or another one here in Louisiana. So congratulations to Ben. Um, moving on. Um, uh, Georgia Southern heads to Old Dominion. This was a game that uh, could have gone either way, quite honestly, as far as if you're looking at it ahead of time. Old Dominion had some nice wins. Georgia Southern had some nice wins. But uh, how did that game play out? Well, the teams traded missed field goals to start. And for Georgia Southern, they ran the football right away because Old Dominion was playing a lot of three-man fronts and that was not a defense that they had shown much, if at all, very similar to what UAB did earlier this year. And I remember the coaching staff saying, man, we were a little bit stubborn with the play calling. If we would have stuck to the run game instead of try to throw it so much, maybe would have gotten out there with a victory. But UAB was just so physical. They had big DBs. The receivers had trouble getting open. I just didn't know if that was that was the right time to play that game. Now, maybe you get UAB, you take them down because you saw what they could do. But seeing how the game plan evolved and the philosophy evolved one week after you set a school record throwing for 578 and throwing it 64 times, Georgia Southern runs it 50 times. And Brian Ellis told me before the season that, look, we're going to be throwing the ball more just because we're going to be throwing the ball more. But that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be games where we're going to need to run it 40 to 50 times to beat somebody. Lo and behold, there it is. Jalen White ends up touching it 32 times. He had 30 carries, and both of his catches came on Georgia Southern's final drive in the fourth quarter when they were trying to milk some clock away. After they traded their field goals, and that was the first of two field goals that Old Dominion missed inside of 25 yards, which was a really big part of the game because those were both mid -zone, red zone misfires. Eagles started scoring touchdowns. They were up 14-3 at one point, built it to 21-10, and then 28-16. Gerald Green came in, had a third down touchdown run during the third quarter, broke one for 30 yards. And for as much as Old Dominion was making out of leading the country in sacks going into the game, they touched Van Treese once, and it was when he broke away and ran for a yard <laughs> during the first half. So they didn't they didn't sack him. And the only sack of the game was on Old Dominion's last drive. Georgia Southern got him on first down and backed him up eight or nine yards, and then they out of timeouts there's only about 30 seconds left so they didn't have a chance to get downfield and score the game winner but really really nice win georgia southern's really struggled on the road for about three years now especially in conference and this puts them just a game out of first going into the weekend into their bye week how nice is it i mean i know you guys have you had to have had it before but how nice is it to have two running backs one with 138 yards a second one with 91 almost 100 yards it reminds me of some of the cajun teams over the last past years uh with, with two running backs but you guys have had had that before i guess oh with... yeah well running the option that was the norm for a while you'd have at least somebody go over 100 adrian peterson then somebody else would go near 100 or over 100 there's been several times in school history where there's been 300 yard rushers but to see it happen when you're not option based is I... interesting it's an I... interesting set of <laughs> set of storytelling I mean, I guess that was kind of what I was I was getting at. So thank you for uh, for uh, finishing my thoughts. But Kyle Van Trees, twenty two for twenty seven, one hundred ninety two yards, one touchdown. You got to love that if you're if you're an Eagles fan. Yeah, he had ten in a row at one point. He actually hit each of his final eight passes too. So he'll go into the South Alabama game with it with an eight completion streak. I'm sure he'll remember that. It it was more efficient though. They didn't 
look to take many deep shots because Old Dominion wouldn't allow them the chance to take many deep shots. They had a post route in the first quarter that Derwin Burgess had gotten open on, but the ball was a little bit too far. A lot of the game was Georgia Southern picking up five, six yards of carry and then converting third down by throwing the football. And like we've talked about before, pass to keep you going, run to win. And when you run it 50 out of 77 plays, they use the passing game to simply move the chains. They were over, I think they were 8 of 15 on third downs, but so many of those were the intermediate routes where Amari Jones was finding space, Caleb Hood found space. Burgess only caught one pass in the game, but it was on a third down play where Van Trace actually lost his initial read and rolled out to his arm side. He rolled out to his right and then flicked the wrist and found Derwin for, I think he gained nine on third down and eight. Unfortunate about Amari coming out just the the other day that his season is over due to an injury that he suffered against Old Dominion. He had an, one of the, he had an internal injury from one of the hits that he took, and that'll be a big loss for the rest of the season. But literally sacrificed his body so Georgia Southern could win a road game at Old Dominion. I know the old. If I'm remembering correctly, Old Dominion has not had a football team that long. How was their stadium in in the atmosphere there? Well, they had rebuilt it the last time that Georgia Southern was there. It had been 10 years, and Ballard Stadium was more like a clamshell. The, if you've seen the old Tampa Stadium, remember how the sombrero yep. used to look? Similar to that, just a lot smaller. They finally rebuilt things. They added an elevator because that field did not have an elevator, so you had to go up the stairs in the stadium, actually in the stands to get to the older press box, which was an adventure. I remember being there with the Citadel back in 2013 and having to do that. But they completely deconstructed the stadium. They built brand new stands. They actually moved them closer to the field to make it for a tougher environment. They said that they moved the stands 10 feet closer to the field so it felt louder as you were playing. The turf felt brand new. The video board looked brand new. The The suite area in the press box was really well done. And I think their crowd was just over 20. The sellout would have been 21. It was, it was good for a homecoming. But I believe that the, the I think their student section is rapidly becoming one of the rowdier student sections in the conference. And I'll just leave that at that. Winning helps on that situation. Absolutely. When you beat Virginia Tech, there people show up. So, all right, Dan, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about the upcoming schedule because uh, be a fun weekend of football again. So you're listening to We're Talking, Craig Melanson and Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. We're talking Sunbelt Conference football. Welcome back into We're Talking. Today we're talking football, Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, the Cajuns head to Southern Miss. This is uh, teams that are uh, familiar with each other in the past. The Cajuns haven't been there since 2008. Uh, but, uh, and quite honestly, Southern Miss has uh, had the Cajuns number for quite a time now. But it's an old rivalry that I'm happy it is back. I wish it was on a Saturday because I really think that that game could be a, a sellout if both teams are playing well. Um, what do both teams need to do to win? <sighs> well, what didn't this game go from the Cajuns being a slight favorite to Southern Miss being a slight favorite? Did I see the line move? Uh, I thought uh... – Last time I looked, the Cajuns were still a uh, a point and a half favorite. So okay, maybe maybe it was one way or the other, but I thought the line moved from one way or the other. This is this is in effect one of the many elimination games in divisional play that's going to take place the last month of the season. I think whoever loses probably is out of a chance to win the West. This is one that Southern Miss, I'm sure, has been building towards after a couple of down years, but after they one in dramatic fashion last week they probably feel like the iron is hot so we better keep striking but for the cajuns back-to-back wins going at marshall ever since the the weather delay they really haven't slowed down but uh also own an arkansas state team in a rivalry that's typically been close 
that's got to be encouraging for the Cajuns too. But I think the big part of the game is getting Chris Smith back. I would agree. And actually, I, I misspoke. Uh, Southern Miss uh, is minus one. So okay. Southern Miss. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the I, I think. Uh, how do I say this? I think uh, the Cajuns are starting to find their way on offense. I think the defense has been good enough to win uh, all season. Uh, Southern Miss. I don't know what's going to happen with with a different quarterback in there for them, uh, but they still have the running game. So, um, I forgot where I was going. I, I looked at that line, and I'm I'm totally kind of messed me up there. The thing that pops out for the Cajuns is looking at the schedule going into the season. You see all those midweek games because the league wants to highlight a program that just won 13 games and was coming off a 13 game winning streak going into the season. They probably weren't thinking that the Cajuns would have stumbled the way that they did, despite dealing with some injuries and dealing with a lot of guys leaving the program. And Oh, by the way, dealing with a relatively new regime, even though coach Des was there under Napier, but now that, I don't know if you want to say it's stabilized or that this is just a good stretch. You've got this Thursday game in a couple of weeks. Georgia Southern's coming down to Cajun Field on November the 10th. And even though that's interdivision, that's still one that Georgia Southern is probably looking to get a little bit of revenge from the last couple of years. You know, I was going to wait till the end, but since, um, let, let, if we don't mind uh, taking a, a shift here, but you mentioned Coach Dez, the new coach. You guys got a new coach. Uh, in, and you mentioned also in your game, learning not to, to take what you're giving. Uh, your coach is, is not necessarily as young as Dez, but still a young head coach, uh, although he's had some experience. Are, the, are those new coaches and younger coaches learning, I guess, to, to your point, take what is given instead of, trying to force some things, making adjustments. I find that a little bit more. And maybe be, maybe because you're winning and we're winning right now that we think they're making adjustments and, and winning cures all ails. You well, know what I mean? What I'll, what I'll say is that all old coaches were at one point young coaches. So they all had to go through it in some way. But, yeah, it's if, if you're looking at an offense or defense, especially an offense, seeing what a defense is giving, if it's a different look, but they're saying, look, we've got four and five guys in the box and you've got four and five, five and six guys to block, you'd be foolish not to run the football. If they're going to put that kind of frame in there, it's clear that they wanted Georgia Southern to have clock-consuming drives. Eagles had the ball for better than 34 minutes against Old Dominion, which is by far the most they've had the football all season. And it was how they learned from the UAB game because to see the same kind of defense but throw it 50 times, and look, they got behind 21 nothing, so they had to throw it at least a little bit. But the way that they got the running game going early ensured that they didn't fall behind. Old Dominion missing two field goals absolutely helped, but the fact that they forced them to kick field goals instead of giving up touchdowns, they only gave up the one until their next-to-last drive in the fourth quarter. You have to see what a team wants you to do you've got what you know you can do well but that's where the the whole bill belichick comes into everybody he wants to take away the one thing that they do the best and old dominion looked at that as we can't let georgia southern throw the ball okay well the eagles have two slash three really talented running backs jalen white is rapidly going towards an all-conference season he's second in the league in rushing behind Kalen labern for marshall Gerald Green is more than a number two at times. He had a monster game in Nebraska, a big reason why the Eagles got that victory. And even though O.J. Arnold hasn't seen many snaps lately coming off of injury, but he has been involved in the return game, that's not somebody that you can overlook. Passing-wise, they created their opportunities to throw on third down because of the kind of success they had running the football. The option game, you know you're going to be – running it 50 to 60 times per game because that's what option teams do. So if you throw it, it's literally the home run, put it over their heads. But if you don't get it, then it's just an incomplete pass. If you do get it, everybody celebrates 40, 50 yard gain. Fantastic. The way that the offense is balanced now, Old Dominion knew that if they played base, they probably didn't have a whole lot of faith in that secondary to play the way that they usually do. 
to drop as many guys as they did and to ensure that Georgia Southern wouldn't throw for 600 yards or whatever it would have ended up being and make the talented running backs beat them. So they still did. So despite them shifting their game plan to take away Georgia Southern's strength, the Eagles had a strength that was maybe perceived as a weakness to still be able to go there and win a game like that. I think for coaches just like players, they understand what their guys are capable of and whatever gets the job done gets the job done. Are you a fan of the scripted plays at the beginning of the game like Bill Parcell used to do? There's a lot of teams in this league that do it. And for some, they'll say, look, we want to get off to a good start, and then they deviate from it, and you're not the same the rest of the way. But for some, I think they honestly want to see what works because they'll throw in so many different formations, not to confuse, but to see, okay, if we manipulate our personnel grouping by extra tight end here, extra wide receiver here, if we go two backs out of the gun, maybe throw a different look at them, how are they going to rotate? Are they going to stumble? Are they going to mess up? Are they going to come too close? Are they going to back up? What are we going to be able to do as an offense that'll let us be the most successful? Now, for some, they'll look at the first 10 or 15 plays. It's got to be similar scheme. I want it down the field. I don't feel like it's going to get stopped, but that's when the stubbornness kicks in. So you got to have play calling flexibility enough to say, I know what works, but I'm also willing to see what else could work so I can find out what else my offense can do. Yeah, it. I like how you put that there at the end because I do think you have to have some flexibility, especially uh, I, I just I don't mind the scripted plays so much. I know you got some plays you want to run, but at the same time, uh, if something's working, go with it. Make them force you to stop it. And if something's not working, stop it for a little bit. And you know, look, Georgia Southern ran the ball 14 of the first 15 plays against Old Dominion. We're kind of looking at each other thinking, are we just through 64 times last week for 578? What is, is this good? And we're looking around saying this is exactly what Georgia Southern should be doing with the way that Old Dominion was saying that they were going to defend to not run the ball would have been a bigger insult because they were giving it to the Eagles and Jalen White. That's why he racked up 138 yards. And that's why Gerald Green scored two touchdowns. Yeah. Moving on, Old Dominion visiting, visiting Georgia State. Uh, you played both teams. What uh, what do you expect out of this game? I think that Old Dominion's fans may outnumber Georgia State's fans because the Monarchs have a very large alumni base in Atlanta. Part of that is because Taylor Heineke played at Collins Hill, which is an, an Atlanta suburb, and now he's back starting a quarterback for the Commanders. So I think that that's going to help them a little bit of this as well time because he just got renamed the starter for their victory this past weekend over Green Bay. I don't exactly know which way this game's going to go. I think that Georgia State has more consistent physicality. And what I mean by that is Old Dominion dominated Coastal Carolina on both sides of the line of scrimmage in that game in Conway the weekend before. But Georgia Southern's offensive line by far played its best game against Old Dominion. And look, you could say, well, they only have five guys in the box. It's easy to block five on five. Still got to block them. Yeah, You still got to block them. That's why the Eagles went for a season high 223 on the ground. If Old Dominion brings the intensity and the fire like they had against Coastal, where it looked like they were motivated to win that game, they'll take Georgia State. But if they let Georgia State get into their ground game like they let the Eagles, but I'm going to guess they scheme a little bit differently, knowing that Georgia State wants to run the football, trying to get Greg Williams, Carroll established, so it could open some things up for their wide receivers. But not knowing how Old Dominion is going to come out and not knowing where Georgia State is mentally after a, uh, taking some shots in the chin up in Boone last Thursday, I, I think that this has a chance to come right down to the wire, but I wouldn't be surprised if either team blew the other out. Okay. I, I, I know that I'm kind of straddling, no, no. straddling the fence there a little bit, not knowing exactly what defense Old Dominion is going to play and not knowing what offensive line is going to show up for the Monarchs. I could see this game being a blowout for either, but I could also see this being a one-score game with uh, just a couple minutes left in the fourth. No, I don't think it's straddling the fence when you give a uh, when you when you give reasons uh, as such as you did and that are in depth like that, which I which I enjoy. Uh, so it, it it it's exactly what what you said. So I, I have no problem with that at all. Um, uh, quickly, Robert Morris heading to App State. Uh, Robert Morris is zero and seven. 
you know <laughs> you can you can you could finish that one yourself i think yeah i think uh, <laughs> i think app state's gonna take that one it may be a close game you know i'm thinking three to two or something like that but app state should win easily <laughs> uh south alabama heading to arkansas state again uh i the arkansas state's quarterback is uh questionable i guess is the best way to put it he did practice he has practiced this week is my understanding he did warm up before the cajuns game uh but then then spent the game on the sidelines so uh how how does that one play out early uh on on saturday afternoon Oh, I think when Arkansas State has been upper echelon, South Alabama's had their number. Now I wonder if it's going to get flipped around on South Alabama and Arkansas State is going to uncover something. I, I I have a hard time believing that because I think the Red Wolves are struggling and they might be just, let's get to the end of the season, if, unless they can get some guys healthy. South still has something to prove. And I, I I don't think there's any question that this is the best South Alabama team since they made the move up to the FBS. Carter Bradley is turned into one of the league's best quarterbacks. And even though their running game suffered last week with LaDamian Webb coming off of injury and Troy really shut him down, they've got three or four guys that they could go to. Defensively, I know that they've been down a couple, but they at least got one back in that Troy game. And I'll go back to a thought that I had from the Georgia State game. They lost that on the road, which can make for a very long trip home. But to lose a rivalry game at home on national television in front of your first sellout crowd in school history, (coughs) that can mess with you psychologically a little bit. So I think we may find out as much about South this weekend to see if they really are improved. Whereas if Arkansas State can pick them off, are they really doing something by picking them off? Are are they getting a South team that's not at their mental best? And I'm I'm just I'm tossing stuff out here because I know that what we're used to with South Alabama, we talked about this before. South has shown flashes, but it seems like they're only flashes. Rarely have they kept the fire burning. This year to be five and two. One went away from bowl eligibility. Remember, they were five and three last year, but lost their final four, did not go to a bowl when they probably should have, because you could make an argument that that was the best team that they've had since the FBS, even though they had a losing record. They had, I mean, Jake Benley was terrific when he was healthy at quarterback, but as soon as he got hurt against Troy, their season derailed. With the injuries they've suffered, they have been able to absorb them and they're a really confusing fake field goal call against UCLA away from probably being six and one. Now, Troy beat them. Troy got them. They were more physical. They did what they needed to on the ground. They did not give up anything defensively. <sighs> South's gotten more than enough talent at receiver. But for me, I've got to see them run the ball a little bit. Whether it's LaDamian Webb or whether it's some combination of Omni Wells or somebody. They've got to show that they can run the football. You know, Arkansas State, I believe Gerald Broussard brought it up uh, during our broadcast. I believe it's something like 63% of the team is freshman and sophomore. So, Yeah, that seems like that's the second straight year that it's been that way for Butch Jones. But when you're trying to turn over a roster, that's, that's what you're going to deal with. And you've still got rosters everywhere dealing with the very end of the COVID waiver period. So guys that are listed as sophomores could technically be in their fourth year. That's true. Never thought of it that way. No, I, I like what Butch Jones is doing up there. I like, like the fact that, you know, he had a program that he needed to clean house and took care of it. And uh, I think he's going to win some games. So we'll see. Uh, The final game of the, of the weekend Coastal at Marshall. Um, Coastal has been a team that has tried to lose games, for lack of a better way to put it. And Marshall's had their opportunities. How do you how do you see this playing out? God, I don't know. <laughs> because, <laughs> at least you're honest. Well, we we talked about with Old Dominion which one was going to show up, and for Coastal, we saw a team that was six and zero just look very disinterested on homecoming against Old Dominion, who picked up one of its biggest victories ever. And even though Grayson McCall put up his numbers, 
And he threw for what 350 and had a long touchdown to Brown in the game. They just they didn't feel like they really had much. It was it was a lackluster performance, and they would admit that too. It, it's still a coastal team that is technically in first in the East because Old Old Dominion technically not too far behind because they only have the one loss. But if this turns into a snowball for Coastal, if Old Dominion discovered something about them, it's going to make things very, very rub your hands together over the final month. But if Coastal wins, it's going to make the road difficult, even though they still have a JMU to play, even though they still have an app to play. But I I, I wonder if Marshall didn't just say, look, we've talked enough about how much talent we have. Let's show people how much talent we have. Because Kalen Laburn is to come in for a situation where Rasheen Ali was going to be the best returning running back in this league, not even playing in this league. I mean, he had 25 touchdowns last year. He hadn't played a snap. He's been on leave. He's had an extended absence. He's been back with the team ever since September. But as far as his return to play, Charles Huff's been giving gradual updates on if they could possibly get him back this year, but nothing else of substance came out last week. But and Kalen Labor's got a thousand yards rushing in seven games. You're not going to fix what isn't broken. And for an old Dominion team that just ran for about 320 the week before, Labor's got to be thinking if they come out that same way, I'm going to go for as much as I want to, and we're going to be able to pick up a victory. Uh, before we uh, move on to final thoughts, and maybe this can be your final thought. Um, did you learn anything from uh, Sunbelt Conference basketball days? I know we talked right before last week, before it happened, and I and I kind of caught you off guard with that one. But, hey, you're good at this, so you're the professional. I'm the idiot. The The comment I'll, I'll use is the one that Jeff Jones from Old Dominion used. They're one of the four new teams in the league. I don't think anybody really knows anything about anybody because basketball more than any other sport – seems to be affected by the transfer portal and guys moving left and right because you're seeing guys playing for three and four schools now Yeah, in a career, which is it's unsettling. It's just where we are. So to see how much movement there is, I don't know that there's much stock in preseason polls. I know the Cajuns were picked first. I don't know if there's much stock in preseason polls. I do agree that Jordan Brown is the preseason player of the year because when he wants to play, there's nobody in this league that's going to touch him. He finally decided to play towards the end of last year. Started to see the huge numbers. He had a 30-point game in the tournament, being the first eight seed to ever get to the championship game. I, I just I don't know how close the <laughs> the standings are going to be to what was predicted once once the season gets started. I think that there's super talent everywhere. I think the league finally has some big men. Before this was a guard-centered league, and guard-centered league, but a guard-specific league. But now with South Alabama having a guy like Kevin Samuel, who's the nation's active leader in rebounds and blocks about three shots per game. He was the A-Sun D player of the year at Florida Gulf Coast last year. Gives you some size inside. Maybe gives some of the the older guard a reason to say, man, this is what the basketball that I grew up on, that we grew up on, to say there's a couple of guards out there, there's some forwards, there's a center, instead of just a bunch of six, seven guys that are playing positionless basketball. I know that that's where the game is for the most part, but a lot like with football, offense have gone from the eye and the option, the grinded out to the spread of Steve Spurrier to the RPO now, where you basically got two plays called at once. So if you do something outside of that, is it bringing history back or is it just going against the grain intentionally because everybody is running a variation of the RPO now? Basketball, you wonder if the re-addition of true big men is going to open this league up for better opportunities because this is the project. This is the league-wide project now. We know where football, baseball, softball, golf, this has become a very good league in a number of sports. Basketball is where it needs to get better. The goal is to find multiple bids into the NCAA tournament. I know you had six teams get bids postseason last year, but you want multi-bids in the NCAA tourney. I don't think that's happened in a decade, but if you can – create a league now with an old dominion and a marshall which has great consistent attendance southern miss should be a lot better this year they had two transfers from mercer so georgia southern has seen plenty of them the last couple of years and i know that felipe Hase and neftali alvarez could really play so that's going to help jay ladner's crew out a lot 
And then with James Madison, well, Georgia Southern knows them pretty well with Mark Byington and part of the staff having spent seven years in Statesboro. So there's at least a bit of familiarity and they just won the Colonial two years ago. So our th- I think our league automatically gets better by who we add, but it's also looking around the other 10 teams because there's no more Little Rock, there's no more UT Arlington. It's going to be a different field to the league. No more travel partners because you've got a seven and seven. So you know that you're probably not going to Louisiana and ULM on the same trip very much. You might, but it doesn't exist anymore. There's going to be a lot more of, okay, we're at home Thursday, road Saturday, vice versa, or you've got a road trip with an Arkansas state and a coastal because that's just how you've got to use it to balance out the schedule. In the end, I don't think we know anything about anybody, but I do know that it starts on November the 7th, and I think that this year, this is going to be the best basketball season this league has had in a while. It's not just going to be a Georgia State dangling the carrot in front of everybody else. I think that they're going to be very good, but I think that there's eight to ten teams that have a legitimate chance to win the league. Well, thank you. I I know there will be a lot of people that uh, find that very comforting, and very happy about it. So um, back to football, if you want any last thoughts, or did you want to end that with uh, where you were? So I apologize, uh, but I did want to, <laughs> uh, it just dawned on me that that last week we were speaking early in the morning, just like now and in some bell conference media days for basketball was happening right before. If, yeah. if there's a closing thought on football, then you got a month left. So if you're going to win a league championship, you're going to win a division, you're going to go to a bowl, start figuring out who you are. Good deal. Uh, Danny, uh, you're off this weekend, aren't you? Yes, yes. The Eagles played their first eight, get the bye week, so I'm going to take in a little South Alabama, Arkansas State to get a further scout on the Jags and do a little bit of basketball the next little bit, and the the overlap season is upon us, as they say. Well, uh, with the overlap season coming to us, uh, your time is always valuable, whether it's overlap or not. So I thank you very much for your time today. You're very, very welcome. Appreciate you. We've been uh, we've been listening. We've been talking. We're, we've been listening. We're talking with Craig Malosa and Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Sports. Georgia, Georgia Southern. All right, I'll end it right there. Voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.